Broadcasting from occupied territories, War the Flea Media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction. Hey, Carlos, I want to thank you for joining me today. Very excited about your book your most recent book of poetry, Human Cicada. As we were talking about earlier, your book, Coyote Sun, was one of the very first poetry books that I ever owned. Yep, that's it right there. <laughs> I had it for years. I don't know I don't know what happened to it. And I say that. It's an old one, man, 1990. Yeah, I had, I had that book for, for a long time. I don't usually lose books. And so I must have loaned it to somebody and they didn't give it back or, or something happened, but. Don't worry. There'll be another one in the mail for you. Don't All worry. Right. I've got an extra one. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. <laughs> but Human Cicada. So this is, this book just came out this uh, past year. Last month. Yeah. Just last month. Right. But came out in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prickly Pear Publishing in Nopali Press out of Santa, Santa, Santa Fe, New Mexico. This is a pretty big book of poems. It's substantial. It, it's, it is, I think, very substantial. And also struck me as uh, reflective. As I was reading the poems, I, I was definitely getting the feeling you've been thinking about your life a lot. I just thought maybe we would we would start there. I have a couple of poems in particular I'd like to talk to you about, but Maybe if you could just kind of give us an overview. I very much enjoyed this book of poetry. I just want, I want to let you know that. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you, you did enjoy it. Um, you know, having everybody having our, 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 our COVID crisis globally and nationally and locally, a lot of us just had to sit our butts down and do something in the house, whether it was paint the house, put a new floor in, fix the windows, whatever the hell it was we had to do, we had to do it. And one of the things that was definitely on my to-do list was to work it out so that I could have a book after uh, coming out with my chapbook back in 2010, which was called 14 Abriles, 14 Abriles Poems. This little chapbook was the last thing I did. And that was, like I said, in 2010, Afterwards, in the commentary that I did in the back of that book, I mentioned that my ske- my life has been like, in terms of publishing, like that of a cicada. And when I was thinking of a title, I said, maybe I'm a human cicada, you know, like on one level. Like I have to, I have to go through these long periods of gestation and dormancy and you know, and they, and then emerge again to have something to say to make my sound right. That that I, I've just answered the question: Why human cicada? That's very interesting because I will tell you that I had many questions um, about the the title of the book, mm-hmm. but I, I like the um, I like the rationale, particularly the gestational. That makes sense. I mean, in in living now in a place where um, cicadas come every summer. But every summer, every summer, there's cicadas, but there are certain summers where it's just out of control here in uh, Prescott, Arizona. I mean, where like the the sound is, it's deafening. 
And then growing up uh, in the Midwest, like I did, so you and I are both uh, pretty, pretty much mid. Yeah, much we, we spent a good time uh, suffering in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you were from Chicago. And so now I know, and I know that you know, that there are millions of Mexicanos that live in Chicago and have lived there for well over a century. But yeah. I mean, maybe if you could talk a little bit about that community, I think that that would be really good. There are a lot of people who listen to this podcast, I think, who are not as familiar with the history and the legacy of Chicanos and other and Mexicanos in the Midwest. So we have a hundred years in Chicago, but you know, there was a lull because the thirties and then in the forties, things picked up again. And a lot of people started moving here. My relatives, I'll just make a long story short. My relatives did not come up here uh, until um, after second world war, probably late, late 50s, towards the late 50s, some of them came up here. Um, and then my own arrival, I did not reach Chicago with my family. My parents came up here when I was 14, and that was 1967. So, okay. Yeah. So I, okay. I, spent, I spent 14 years in Texas. My family's from there, too. The dad, my dad's side of the family. They're from the Rio Grande Valley. Westlickle. Oh, Westlickle. Okay, yep. sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about the book. I mean, maybe we could start. Do you have a poem that you would like to read? Absolutely. Sure do. I'm going to read a poem um, that that gives honor to one artist in particular from San Antonio by the name of Cesar Cesar A. Martinez, who I have to tell you. If you have never looked at his art, I hope the listeners, the people tuning in, go look up his name, Cesar A. Martinez. Go look for his art, and uh, you will see uh, someone who, I, I, I guess he's, you know, they talk about Ed Paschke in Chicago. That's kind of a big name, right? And uh, But I think Cesar is his match and uh, should have as, as much international and national recognition. So this section that his poem appears in, in the book, is a thing called Almost Invisible Talents. And Almost Invisible Talents, that's how we live in this, this country, oftentimes. They don't know about us. We, there's lots of us, but they don't know about us. So this humble household, humble householder, modern Tejano Toltec, welcomes us to his armadillo corrugated casa while he opens his guarded black clippings binder, it reveals a parade of rostros de los Chicanos muertos and others posed in their favorite or final public photos. We ponder the once alive many ceased orbits and notice how heat has oxidized white print to brown. He draws and paints as deliberate as science allows, forms prisms, prisms from the heart crystal, out of each human face, resurrection springs in new colors. Inside the artist's mind studio, a magician's mortuary, without mourners' tears or egocentric memories, decades gone, grins, sunglasses, squints, sampaku, stares live again. Afloat on a tapestry, 
a float on a tapestry of luxuriant magentas, greens and umbers, Cesar's magic, a peyote kaleidoscope, snap open a tower of fireworks, sizzle in a torrent of canvas strokes while listening to the silver chords, the Espanas of flamenco, which accompanies him as he strikes and strums with one magnetic brush, flashing side to side, open, closed, como el torador, dance free to the bull of blindness with shafts of light. On the King's Road in San Antonio, Texas. Right. Right, yeah. right there on the old original, uh, El Camino de Rey, right there, right to San Antonio. That's, I love San Antonio for its, uh, its, its capacity to demonstrate our roots in this nation, this young nation. One of the things that, that I noticed in terms of like reading through this particular collection is that you make a lot of references to Toltecs, which I think is cool. It's a little different in the sense that uh, a lot of the stuff that people have put out especially I'd say in the last 20 years or so, so is very Mashika centric, which you definitely are touching on in this collection, but Toltecs are, are prominent, right? Or the idea, the imagery of the Toltec is, is prominent. I was just wondering if- I'm, glad you, could, I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah. because if I, if, let me explain the reason why I use the word Toltec. And I use it a number of times as you, as you pointed out, as you mentioned. The reason why the word Toltec is utilized is because they were considered by the Mexica when they reached Tenochtitlan in Anahuac and they were there, they knew that there were other people before them. And the people before them were, were considered master artists, right? Master artists and builders. And I, I see the, the, so I've kind of decided anyone that I encounter of, of, with indigenous ancestry who, whether they're, you know, of any tribe, any nation, but especially if you share the general Mexican diaspora heritage, I'm going to say you have sangre tolteca as a compliment. That's just meaning, you know, you're a master or you're someone who is um, uh, in charge of your craft and you have lived by it and mastered it and you're doing that. So there are plenty of people in that it's just a, to me, it's like it's a status level, you know, rather than saying just using the, the, the you know, kind of the, the Anglo-Sajon uh, term, like a distinguished or an August artist or something. But we say a Toltec artist, artista Tolteca. Yeah. So anyway, that was kind of my turn. No, that's cool. That, that makes sense. Like in, in the poems that, that I've read or... It, but I mean, you're you're really all across all of North America, you know, from right. from Mesoamerica all the way up into into Canada. Right. Making right. Uh, very solid connections uh, with the three fires people in the Great Lakes area, the the Anishinaabe. And then, you know, using those references and also mixing that with Chicano and then uh, Mexica, Lakota. I mean, there's a there's a really a firm base of indigeneity in the poems that you wrote, uh, well, particularly for this, for this particular publication. But I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about that and, and why you think that that's important. Here's the thing, Ernesto. There is such a thing as collective amnesia. And there is such a thing as 
as denial. And there is such a thing as being deliberately kept in the dark about who we are and why we're here. Also, there is some shame in the name Indio when someone would call us that. And again, you know, like, like the Mexicas say in, 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 uh, in Mexico, they say, nosotros no somos indios. Los, 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 indio, los indios a la India. Like they belong, the, the, we're not Indians. The Indians are over in India. But we are indigenous, and we do have indigenous names. And so what that means, not all of us, of course, not everybody that's a Mexican, because there's all kinds of Mexicans are indigenous. There are plenty of European and Chinese and African and all kinds of Mexicans that are not necessarily indigenous. But, but if, again, we know that the majority of the people are and in the case of that, what's interesting is that N. Scott Mamaday, which will ring a bell for a number of people who won the Pulitzer Prize for the book called The House Made of Dawn back in the, what, in the 60s? This man admitted in public, I didn't know, I mean, he was just giving a speech here in Chicago, and he said that he was part Mexican. And, uh, you know, he, he belongs to, the, um, to the, uh, an Oklahoma tribe. I believe that is a Comanche. I'm at to double check that. But here he is, you know, and Scott Mamaday, and he goes, he says, I'm part Mexican. And, and he goes, and people wondered, how is that? And he goes, I know before you wonder how that's possible, we used to raid Mexico and take the women and bring them up, and they became part of our people. So, ah, uh, you know, um, whenever you look at any tribe, <laughs> here's, here's the thing, Ernesto. Whenever you look at any tribe that talks about the importance of the three sisters, maize, right, calabaza, right, frijol, beans, squash, corn, where do you think the corn came from? Historically, we know, anthropologically or whatever, the studies of plants, botanists will say corn was perfected and, and created in Mexico. Yeah. But here's the thing, you know, we, if you look at the history and, and until I'm going to say, this is why we study all the most of the evidence that, that I, I'm aware of says corn is a Mexican offering to the to the human beings, to us, to the Nicantlaca, to the human beings, to the, uh, you know, the, the people. Right. So here we are. I would just say. If, if you have corn up in New York State with the uh, Hondo Asani, and they're, they're talking about the three sisters, hey, we must have had some trade going on. And, of course, we did. And there was a place called what? Cahokia. So, you know, that was some time back. But there were other places. I'm sure plenty of trade happened. So I'm going to read uh, a poem, if you don't mind, about, about Guatemoc. Mexican, okay. Mexicans... Uh, had a bad time with, with uh, Moctezuma. Um, he was too bowled over by Cortez and his gang. And, um, and they settled that by braining him with a rock when he was out on the porch talking to the people saying, you should listen to Hernan over here, my new friend. And people hit him in the head with a rock and took him out. And then um, Guatemoxin um, was next in line. We have seen this name, Guatemoc, and uh, people, some people were calling it Falling Eagle. 
falling eagle. Um, I've looked at the pictures and I said, I don't see a falling eagle when you see the, the rendering. I see a swooping eagle. He's swooping in, not falling. Well, you I mean swooping means you're more like in command of your of your gestures and motions and, and more of a deliberate thing rather than just tumbling or falling. Well, when a when a boots when a bird when a bird when a bird swoops, it's in a predatory uh motion. I mean yeah. birds swoop on prey. That's that's where that term comes from. So yeah, I have I have also seen things that that talk about how the name has been mistranslated, perhaps purposely mistranslated, to add yet one more level of despair and and defeat to yeah. you know the yeah. idea. Yeah. It's like I mean listen, every conqueror has to wage psychological warfare on his public on his object. So calling him a fallen eagle versus a swooping eagle, subtle, but it works. Um, calling it, calling this guy a warrior chief instead of a general, you know, uh, kind of, kind of works. Anyway, the poem is called Awantalo, Endure It. It's on page 89, if you're following. Quatamoxin, swooping eagle, the last leader fell fighting centuries ago. It earned him artistic immortality on Mexican currency and public statuary for a society that enshrines its native royalty while ignoring those who currently share his features and non-Spanish language. Depicted as a muscular man, chiseled profile, framed inside an eagle-beaked helmet, while Democene with outstretched arm and hand points away from his ancestral land where gods first spoke with the Mexica, Anahuac, Tenochtitlan, Coyoacan, Iztapalapa, Tabasco, Texcoco, all of it Cuauhtémoc's last domain, his before the bearded strangers came, in floating mountains with giant dogs owned by pale riders who wore iron chests to deflect the rain of resistance obsidian. The strangers burnt their boats, houses, los barcos, upon landing, closing off escape until new boats could be built where to carry, where to carry off all forms of Mexica wealth. While Democene was captured and dragged along with his captain to the Spaniards' interrogation cave, where a large clay pot blazed with mesquite-heated flame tied down bare souls blackened and slowly peeled, seared off, unless they would confess where the rooms of the sun's golden excrement glowed. While Democene's loyal captain hollered in pain, in pain, this unbearable, to which Guatemoc replied, Awantolo, you'll endure it. Perhaps you think I'm being bathed in warm flower-scented water. Guatemoc, in agony, unable to walk, was hung before sunrise, buried in the blue jungle, only to reappear centuries later on treasury bills and public monuments, pointing to his still living people in the navel of the moon, Mexico. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was looking at this one. I think that, I mean, for myself personally, this whole idea about who Cuauhtémoc was 
I mean, is, is very fascinating. Right. And I, I really enjoy this, um, this second verse, it says in public statuary for a society that enshrines its native royalty while ignoring those who currently share his features in non-Spanish language. I mean, the, the, when I read that, it immediately takes me, it immediately took me anyways, back to the whole uh, La Raza Cosmica and the way that I think that it's very, it's very clear that that text has been misinterpreted uh, by um, a lot of people, maybe even like by a whole generation of people uh, to really see that as um, that uh, Vasconcelos is talking about the coming together of these three different races. And, and he is, you know, or these, these two different races that create a third race, but I mean, it's really couched in, in this sort of racism that we see right here. You know, I mean, this is, I mean, Vasconcelos is basically saying, thank God these guys came because we'd be butt naked savages, you know, worshiping pagan gods if they hadn't come here and conquered us and made us better people by their blood. Ernesto, in Mexico, from what I understand, is that someone is not recognized as actually an indigenous person by the government unless they live and speak. With some frequency, their language with their own people, their own tribe. So if you don't if you don't live in the Otomi area and speak the Otomi language or or the Huasteco or, or the you know Purepecha, if you're not speaking that, they're not going to call you indigenous. If they were to apply that in the United States with all the people enrolled with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and say, if you do not have a command of your language, you're not an Indian. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter if you have, you know, you're bald or you have hair or you have whatever, a beard. If you don't speak the language and the people, and you don't live near the people, you're not an Indian. You're not indigenous, I should say. So, you know, that could, how would that, how would that fly in the U.S. of A? How many people, how many Indians would there be? Uh, I'm just saying. But in Mexico, there are millions of indigenous speakers. Yeah. Millions. Yes. Uh, the sad thing, this is the, this is the main point I think I want to leave you with, is that our brothers and sisters in the U.S. of A., who are indigenous, need to understand that Mexicans are actually the largest indigenous group in North America because Mexico, being part of North America, the Mexicans are the largest indigenous group. And so it kind of hurts us that when we go to the powwows and stuff, they don't want to see our flag. <laughs> they yeah. got the Canadian flag and they got the U.S. flag up there, but they don't put the Mexican flag up there. And the Mexican flag actually is based on indigenous symbols. Yeah. Ah, so there it yeah. is. No, I really, I really, I really enjoyed that, that poem. Um, okay. I thought you. it was good. Now I want to ask you mm-hmm. about one. This one, I really, this was my favorite, one of my favorites. Canto of heaven, Talocan or hell, Miklan on page 41. Mm. Um, 
I, I mean, I know that you weren't like maybe not prepared to read that one, but if you if you wanted to read this and maybe we could have a conversation about it real quick, I'm, we're going to have to, you know, wrap up here. Okay. But I'd well, really like to get one more poem in if we could. This is the one you want. I like this poem. It's either that or the, um, it's either that or uh, he didn't stop singing. We're going to do this one. Okay. <laughs> Canto of heaven. La Lucan or, or hell. Mictlan. For Ricardo, Ricardo Sanchez, born 329-1941, passed on to the cosmos 9-3-1993. Ricardo Sanchez, for me, by the way, was one of the, probably for the longest time and has been and always will be, at least in my old mind, the master poet, code-switching poet of the Chicano people. Plus, he's kind of Shakespearean. He made up his own his own poetic terms, like as Shakespeare did. And uh, this is a brother who spent time in prison and did finally earn a PhD. Okay, he said the PhD represented poet highly developed or pinto highly developed, or that's what it stood for in his in his joke for Ricardo Sanchez. Can Chicanos lay claim to our own Homer, Milton, or Baudelaire? Pues guachile, what are we to think cuando Ricardo Sanchez, el poet highly developed our PhD in more than barriology, linked to those immortals by master scholar Felipe de Ortego y Gasca, in the forward of his pioneering Canto y Grito Mi Liberación. I first read Sanchez's work during the Anchor 70s as he explored in masterful code-switching Spanish and English the American devil's bargain on his, of his life. After Soledad prison pains, was he really like the covers painting of the young, sunburnt, mustache, chuco, and cool hat, unflinching stare of sly guy, reefer cooked eyes, and totally fed up with bogus borders? On tattoos hidden under a ruddy camisa, turned up collar, he was fully aware of his turbulent years were not over, especially when he declared, we shall create our own Chicano society. Y si no le gusta el gringo, or will the future dis disinter our bones and sing praises to our Chicanosaurian poetics in some distant mausoleum of diversity? Whatever our destiny, it will be something that we have created through the pain of daring to be ourselves at whatever cost. I first met him in San Antonio at Floricanto. Later, we all joined others of Los Southwest Midwest cultural activists to create cantos al pueblo con los indio chicano artistas in murals, music, and poetic narratives in M Milwaukee, Corpus Christi, St. Paul, Phoenix, Carbondale, and lastly, Chicago. I lament millions of people have not heard his cantos or liberating llantos, nor have ever read a word of Ricardo's hefty hechizo spells, nor his slim milwas blues and gritos norteños. Fortunately, we still have many of his fine libros ready to be mined of their po potent poetic ore, for he offered us his rage and love real human treasure, maybe, and that's all a poet can do, 
before they go towards Tlalocan or Mictlan forever. Eso, punto. See, and, and to me, I mean, this poem and then the poem that is uh, also, it was about Chuy Negrete, the homage she didn't yeah, those stop are my, my homage or eulogiac pieces, right. I mean... But there are also, and this is this goes back to the beginning of of the conversation as 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 I was reading through this. I mean, as I get older, and then you start thinking about people that you've known and that you you know grew up with, maybe in a way, right? I mean, there's growing up when you're a child, and then there's growing up through your twenties and thirties. I mean, it's that that self reflection I think that really struck me the most as I was reading through these because even in homage. In in my in my opinion, is a work of self reflection, right? Yep. As we think about the people who have impacted us and 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 what they mean to us. And um, I did not know Ricardo Sanchez, but I have read his poetry, and I think that this opening part can Chicanos lay claim to our own Homer, Milton, or Baudelaire? Wow. You know, you know, Ernesto, as a professor, I will say this to you, me compa. I will tell you this, that, that, the, that the genius of our people have been underestimated time and again, um, that the creativity of our people have been discounted, right? So all we have to do is read Rodolfo Corti Gonzalez's I Am Joaquin to see where we've been and how we've been and maybe where we're going. It merits reading. And I'm just saying, so, you know, anyone who teaches our literature should always show that off as, as kind of a core, a core cornerstone of our literature. I think that the corrido was the first way that we communicated poetically through the corrido, providing a chronological and colorful narrative of our lives. But as the Chicanos, we've, you know, we've taken it without guitarra, without musica, and put it in, of course, the rhythm and the rhythm and meter and cadence of voice and language. And so that we could have people like Ricardo Sanchez and uh, Arbelardo Lalo Delgado, or people like, you know, who, who could declamar, they could come out and they could captivate 100, 200 people outdoors. People would come and hear them. Um, these guys were, uh, to borrow the term, I mean, they were orators of, 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 that would, I'm sure they would have been respected orators in the, in the ancient world of, of, of the, of, of Aslan or in Europe or wherever because of their skill. Um, but, you know, again, we our, our, our people don't, we don't know each other. See, you go into Mexican homes and you don't see our literature there. Very rarely do you see our own literature in our own people's homes. What you see is, you know, the oppressor's literature, you know. They yeah. have, we don't, we don't support our own literature. Yeah. What surprises me is how many how many gringos read our literature. Hello, thank you very much. I appreciate. Yeah. It. But but it's almost I've made this argument uh, 
20 years ago in an, in an essay that I had published in Los Angeles in a magazine called Rattle, that, that, the, that the small press, if we didn't have Euro-American allied readers of our literature, I don't think our literature would survive. But I mean, and just don't, don't you think, though, in some ways that that's really a condition of our colonization, that sort of devaluing of everything that everything colonized, everything brown, you know, that we're, we're taught right from the very beginning that, you know, we're just not we're not as smart. We're not as good. You know, I, I find it as um, I try to have political conversations with people that they're, they're very fluent in Republican and Democrat, but that if you try to talk to them about what that means in terms of Chicano politics, uh, the conversation comes to an abrupt end. And, and it's not because they don't want to talk about it. The words simply don't exist for them to be able to engage meaningfully. You know, I mean, do you, do you yeah. think it's something that has something to do with that? Well, the, the model, see, people, people can talk about what they've seen modeled and, and what they've seen. Uh, I mean, theoretically, they can talk all day long, but when they want to get serious and empirical and practical, they want to see a model that's worked. And even the, you know, just to know our own, um, it's, there are a few models to, to operate off of. Um, that's, that's part of the issue. And there's been plenty of, of attempts but most of them have been sabotaged uh, by the powers that be, and sometimes by our own stupidity. It behooves anyone who assumes a, a, a leadership role, any woman, any man that wants to do this, they have to, they have to be of good heart, a clean heart and sober to lead. It's going to be hard. Too many people are, you know, and if it's not your own people playing, trying to mess you up, it's going to be the powers that be to try to plant something on you. Yeah. Like so, a sack. <laughs> hey, Carlos, where do, uh, where, where does uh, all of the uh, Chicana, Chicano, Chicanexes who are listening to us talk right now, where do, where do they get this book? They can, they can contact, they can go right to here. Yeah. They can go right to um, prickly. Where is that? That little symbol. Can you see that? Sure can. Prickly Pear Publishing. Yeah. Okay. You can go right there and order it from them. Uh, if you say, if you tell them, uh, use the use the term podcast, and they'll get uh, a discount on the uh, on the price. It's eighteen dollars, and uh, they can pick it up for sixteen. Okay. Um, so they get a couple of bucks off, which is you know, depending where you are. Um, and of course, the shipping. I, you know, again, you all know that they're playing games with even with the with the post office is playing games like crazy with with what to do and where to go and how to get stuff sent out. If you don't go right to a Chicana owned and operated press, which is Prickly Pear Publishing, if you don't go there and you just want to go to Amazon, you'll still get the book, but you, you'll be working with whoever Amazon is, right? So, yeah. but Amazon has it. Um, it's, uh, there, are, you could also maybe ask a bookstore to pick it up. If you want to support a bookstore, you ask them to get it, they'll get it in for you and just, uh, they'll order it. And, um, 
It has an ISBN. The, the name is just not the human cicada, but human cicada. Human cicada. That's right. C-U-M-P-I-A-N. All right. That's all the time we have hey, for today. Uh, I want to thank uh, Brother Carlos Cumpian for talking with me. It has been my pleasure over the past uh, pandemic years to work with him on a project called Mexicanos 2070. And it's been very exciting. I was really looking forward uh, to this book. And um, I hope that you all take a minute, order a copy, and uh, enjoy it the way that I did. We'll see you soon. Thank you. This is The Reality Dysfunction.